Well, good morning, church. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and so we offer that short video as a reminder of the power of God, what he did then, and what he continues to do in and through us today. Well, today we are in week three of our sermon series, and we're dedicating some time this season to looking at some of the parables that Jesus told as he taught about the principles of God. And parables are short stories, and Jesus knows that stories are a powerful way to bring understanding and perspective to a teaching. We're drawn to stories, and we're captivated by storytellers. And I don't know about you, but I just can't help but be drawn in when I think about, when I imagine Jesus sitting there telling these stories, unfolding these deeper principles of the faithfulness and fruitfulness of God. And so we took a quick look over the last two weeks of the, the parable of the, the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, the hidden treasure and the pearl, and the parable of the net. And today I want to skip over to Matthew chapter 20 and look at the parable of the workers in the vineyard. But in order to see the context of what Jesus is saying in that parable, we need to go back a few verses to Matthew 19, verse 16 through 30, and, and talk a little bit about the rich young ruler. So scripture says this, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So here in this passage, Jesus is talking with a young man who is not only wealthy, but he's excelled in his career. And Bible scholars suggest that he was a, a magistrate, a justice of the peace in his own country. And he's in search of the promise of eternal life. And it's not clear to us if he's asking because he really has a heart for the things of God or if he's asking because it is one more pursuit, one more trophy that he's hoping to attain. And I don't know about you, but when I think about this man, I've never really thought very much about his heart and why it is that he's seeking this answer from Jesus. Well, I do have to admit that my knee-jerk reaction when I read this story has kind of been negative. At first glance, the overriding feeling is that the rich young man is also kind of arrogant, and he's unwilling to obey what Jesus had just told him. And really, if we're to be honest, we would have to admit that we do kind of have a stereotype of what we think this rich young man was like based on some of the arrogant, well-to-do, successful bad boys that we know in our culture. But when I dig deeper into the scripture, one of the first things I hear God telling me is to put aside my preconceived idea of this rich young man and to try to look a little bit deeper at the reality of the struggle of walking in obedience to the things of God. Because not being rich myself, and not all that young for that matter, it's easy to think, well, this really doesn't apply to me. And so maybe you've done that very same thing when you've encountered this passage. But in a nutshell, what this young man is asking is, Jesus, what do I need to do to get into heaven? 
Where's the line? Can you give me a list of do's and don'ts and I will work that list? Now we have to keep in mind that Jesus has not yet paid that sin debt in full for all of humanity. And we know that the only thing that qualifies someone to get into heaven is believing in Jesus and receiving that forgiveness of sin debt and asking him into your heart. But because he has not yet secured that freedom for us, he's responding to this young man in terms of Old Testament law and not under the law of grace. But what he tells him to do will help position him to receive the gift of forgiveness and grace when the time comes. If only he will listen and obey what Jesus is telling him to do here. So Jesus begins to list off the commandments, and the young man begins to check those off of his list. Okay, got it. Do not murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony. Check, 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 check. I'm good there. Do honor your mother and father. Do love your neighbor as yourself. Check, check. I'm good there too. Let's move on. What's next? What do I lack? And Jesus says, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. I don't know about you, but I've always kind of read that this way. Sell what you have and give that money to the poor. But when I really look at it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me through it, this is what I see. It's more like two separate things and not one continuous action. So number one, sell your possessions. Now it doesn't say sell all your stuff. It doesn't say get rid of everything that you own and adopt a life of poverty and then you can have eternal life. God showed it to me this way. It's less about the things that we possess and more about the things that are possessing us. It's not so much about getting rid of the things that we own, but the things that own us. Sell your possessions. Sell those things that do have value in this world because those things are the things that very easily become more important in your life than they were intended to be. And those things begin to own you and to control your path in life. So let's say, for example, let's imagine you have $50,000 burning a hole in your pocket. Hey, that's a good problem to have. I'll take that one any day. So you think, okay, no problem. I'm going to go buy a new car. But every time you drive that new car somewhere, you worry about where to park it. Do I park it up front between those two beat-up 1989 Chevys, or should I park it farther away in the lot, away from everyone so that it won't get scratched? Well now, in a way, your car has gained authority over you. That car now has a greater voice in the things that you do and how you do them, see? Possessions hold a very real danger of possessing us, and it's not so much about the stuff as it is about how much importance you allow the stuff to have in your heart. So that was the first thing, sell your possessions. And number two, give to the poor. Now it doesn't say give that money to the poor. It says give to the poor. So God showed me this. When we give to the poor, we need to surrender the right that we think we have to judge those we are giving to. See, we can't give and then regret giving when we start to miss that thing that we gave. And we can't give and put parameters about, around how that person will choose to treat or use what we've given them. And you can't just give money and call it a day because it's easy to give money and then think nothing more about it. 
Jesus didn't say what to give. He just said to give. He doesn't put a definition either around what it means to be poor. You see, we can be poor in lots of different ways that have absolutely nothing to do with money. We can be poor in spirit, poor in relationships, poor in health, and the list goes on and on and on. Jesus says, give to the poor. And in order to truly give something to someone experiencing lack, we must also give up the right we think we have to judge that person or judge their intentions or their attitude or their situation. We must give up that desire to fix them and to fix the situation or station that they are in because if we're trying to fix, then that is fixing and not giving. Somebody once told me when you give, you need to give with your hands open and your eyes closed. You see, to truly give, you must surrender authority and ownership of the thing that you've given. And that's not always easy, is it? Number one, sell your possessions. Number two, give to the poor. If you can give up ownership of the things that you own, and if you can learn to give into the lives of others without trying to control or fix them, then you will have treasure in heaven. In other words, let go of what you have here, which really isn't yours to keep anyway. And in eternity, you will have treasures more valuable than you can even ever imagine. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me, he says. As you gain perspective of what's really important, as you let go of things that you so often hold so tightly to, as you begin to change your worldview and look deeper into your heart and deal with those things in this world that take hold of your heart and your time and your life, then you will be following. You see, those are the deeper steps of walking in obedience, of being an obedient follower and not just a spectator. And the deeper I look into this story, the more I see that that rich young man isn't all that different from you and me. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't consider myself rich, and I, I think I would be able to check off a, a, a list of obedience off of a list. But if Jesus said to me, get rid of the things in your life that have ownership of you and surrender the authority that you think you have to help fix things in someone's life. Just truly surrender all of that. Your identity, your status, your accomplishments, your success, just surrender all of that and follow me. And if Jesus said that to me, I might just turn around and walk away a little bit sad too. Because we allow those things that surround us, things that we have worked for and sacrificed for and spent years accumulating, we tend to let those things define us. And the truth is that it really is hard to let go of those things in our lives. It's hard to let go of the physical, tangible things that we have built up around us. It's hard to let go of the thought process that helps us to justify why we do the things we do. It's hard to do something down here with the only reward in mind of storing up treasures in heaven. Is it only or for me? <laughs> See, every one of us is rich in something, and all of those somethings make it harder for us to truly follow after Jesus and seek the face of God. 
After the rich young man left the conversation, Jesus continued talking with his disciples, and he says this, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, so who then can be saved? You see, if the disciples are questioning in astonishment the difficulty for a rich man to be saved, then it can't just be about material things. It has to be more about the matters of the heart. Because the disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus, and it wasn't for the hope of chasing after rich people. They had to believe that the message of Jesus was for everyone, the rich and the poor, the healthy and the sick, the sinner and the saint. And the truth is we are all rich in something, so who then can be saved? Well, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Because no matter what we have in our hands, the blood of Jesus and the power of God can change our hearts It's not about selling everything we have and and adopting a life of poverty. It's about the blood of Jesus covering us and the Holy Spirit working in us that gives us the ability and the desire to surrender authority over all we have and all we are and give it to God to determine how it will be used. It's impossible for us, but with God, all things are possible. Peter continues that conversation and he says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, because don't forget Jesus is in the process of making all things new, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you you who will have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left Houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who were, were first will be last and many who were last will be first. See, there's a special blessing for those whose hearts are attentive to the call of Christ, who are willing to follow without pondering or questioning, without making a list of pros and cons and looking at it from every angle, without building things that create some security in this world. For those who will just trust and obey without hesitation and with endurance, there is a special blessing, a special anointing, a special reward on the other side of this world, and it is a promise straight from the mouth of Jesus. Those who will follow after him like that look like they are coming in last in this world, but in the kingdom, the last will be first and the first will move to last. See, Jesus, he turns things upside down. He works in ways that don't always make sense in this world. In fact, the the things that do make sense in, in this world are almost always opposite of the ways of God. And as we walk in obedience, we need to surrender our need to understand and make sense of what God is doing because it's not, it's not so much about wrapping our minds around the moves of God as it is about wrapping our 
hearts around the moves of God and just trusting that he is the source and supply and that he will give us all good things. Yes? So all of that is the, is the background that actually brings us to our parable for today in chapter 20. It's in the context of this encounter with the rich young ruler that Jesus tells this story of the workers in the vineyard. Scripture says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day they, and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? See, it's difficult for us to understand the generosity of God. Just as the rich young ruler was frustrated by the challenge of letting go of the things of this world and is wrapping his heart around the things of God, so too the workers in the vineyard who started work early can't comprehend the generosity of the landowner because their hearts are wrapped around the things of the world and not the things of God. Their mindset, the mindset of this world, worries about and gets frustrated by the thought of being treated unfairly. But the kingdom of God is about grace. It's a wide open, spacious place where God meets us time and time again with goodness that we do not deserve. See, what we really deserve is death and separation from God. But his grace and his mercy, by that we have life and love and abundance and intimacy with the creator of the universe. And that isn't fair. And I am so grateful that God is not fair. And that attitude of entitlement that rules in this world, that spirit of pride that is whispered in our ears by the enemy, uh, 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 the enemy who is all around us every day, he is the prince of the power of the air and he is filling this world with hate and anger. See, God is not fair. And for that we need to be thankful but God is just his word is good he will do what he says he will do and just like the owner of the vineyard he will pay what he has promised if you started out early or if you came in late in the day God is just and he is generous 
And in the kingdom, the wisdom of the world is nothing because the mercy and grace and generosity and love and peace and hope of God rule in his kingdom where the last will be first and the first move to last. You see, our enemy, the devil, he is a liar and a bully. And one day, justice will be done on this earth, and the enemy will be no more, and God will once again be more visible. And the glory of the Lord will reign, and his righteousness will shine like the the noonday sun. One day, God is going to set everything straight. And until then, he is still at work every day. He is in the process of making all things new. He never slumbers or sleeps. He stands with us in all and through all the mess of this world. And we can have victory every day. We can surrender those things that we so often use to create a safety net in this world. And we can just live in the truth and the reality of who God is and how much he loves you and lives with you and moves through you. Yes? It is never too late in the day to come and work in the vineyard. Every one of us comes to Jesus on a different journey. Some of us have been following since we were little children and we've never stepped off the path. Others of us have walked a long and winding road of obedience and rebellion and we've known Jesus but we've not always followed. We've done that dance in and out of his presence and maybe even now still struggle to stay focused and following And still others of us have come to know Jesus later in life, and we wish we had that foundation of faith taught to us from the very beginning, but we were not that fortunate, not blessed by those godly people surrounding us. And some of us listening to this message have not yet made the decision to follow after Jesus, to invite him into our hearts to receive that forgiveness and that grace. Whatever your journey looks like, you need to know that it is never too late in the day to come and work in the vineyard. See, the promises of God are true and real, and they are available to all who will call on his name. And God calls out to every one of us today to come closer, to dig deeper, to follow harder. It is never too late to start following. It is never a mistake to follow harder. So today may we learn not only from the story of the vineyard, but also from the life of that that rich young ruler. May we recognize that it is not the things of this world that hold value, but it is the security we find in Christ alone that brings fullness to our lives. May today be the day that we choose to lay down some of that sense of security we've placed in the things that surround us, and may we run toward the things of God in ways that don't even make sense in this world. May we begin to step out with greater faith at a greater level of surrendering things we think we should control, and just trust that God is doing more than we can ever imagine in us and through us and around us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for this day, for the opportunity you've given us to to come into the fellowship of believers, to come around your word, to look deeper into your truths. God, if if we're honest today, we'd all have to admit that 
God, we do identify with the story of the rich young ruler. We do identify with the injustice of the workers of the vineyard. How that feeling kind of puts a little bit of anger in us when we're looking with the wrong lenses. God, we admit we do that because that's the way of this world. We pray that you would help us to take off the lenses of the world and put on your lenses, that we might see things through your perspective, that, that our world might be colored by your goodness and your grace always, that our hearts might be bent toward following after you and becoming more like you and seeing more of you in this world. God, we pray that you help us to walk with your wisdom every day and that you help us to, to think about what we're thinking about as we kind of bounce up against the difficulties that we find around us and the emotions that swirl within us. God, I pray that, that you would give us the courage to follow after. I pray that you would just increase our desire to know you more, to be more closely in fellowship and intimacy with you and to follow harder after your ways in this life. Give us the courage and the strength that we need to be about your business in this world. God, we thank you and we praise you for everything that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.